You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 17. What I'd like to do uh, this morning is just take a look at the throne of God and trace it through the scriptures and see what God has revealed for us to look at there. So we'll start in Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 12. Jeremiah says this, A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. We're going to pause there again. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. The Jews had a wonderful privilege in that they knew God dwelt among them in the temple and more specifically in the holy place above the ark uh, on the mercy seat. That's where his glory was revealed. And it was a wonderful privilege for them to have that. But in this day and in this time, Jeremiah is speaking to the children of Israel because of their sin, because of their idolatry, because of God's judgment that was about to come and the destruction and fall of Jerusalem. So this privilege that they had enjoyed, this place where they would meet with God, very soon for the Jew is going to change. They are going to have Jerusalem taken. The place where they would worship God is going to be overrun by Babylonians, men who worship another god. The sanctuary that they turned to would fall. And it's in that context, as the things on the horizontal look horrible, maybe as bad as they had ever been in the history of God's people, Jeremiah lifts their view to something higher here in a prophetic way. He reminds them that there is a throne that isn't going to be taken by Nebuchadnezzar. He reminds them that there is a sanctuary that the feet of enemies will never tromp in. He reminds them that there is a place for the people of God still, even though that earthly place that they were privileged to look to was going to be taken. And he reminds them of something higher than what they had been used to. There's a glorious high throne from the beginning that that's the place of our sanctuary. That God has a throne in Scripture is pretty clear. Uh, the, the thing that is said most about God's throne in all Scripture is that it is set in heaven. Uh, that heaven is not just a state, it's a literal place. That in that place, there's a golden altar, there's a heavenly temple, there's a sea of glass, God, of course, can reside anywhere as a spirit, but angels cannot. The Bible says the angels dwell in heaven. They exist in a place. Satan covets that place. And it is also the place where we see a throne very often and most often. And clearly of that throne, God is the one sitting upon it. John, the apostle, when he receives his heavenly vision in Revelation... He says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat 
on the throne. You would think if God opened up the heavens to you, what would be the first thing you notice? What would be the first thing that you would, uh, would catch your attention? And John tells us here, he says, heaven is open. And he said, behold, there was a throne. And there was one sitting on the throne. That, that is where his attention was set. David, the psalmist, would say that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. The throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. This throne has been there. God is not sitting on it insecure as things in the world worry people. It is written in his word that he is our heavenly king established of old. He's the everlasting king, the king of heaven, the king immortal, invisible, who sits and reigns forever and ever. And what these people needed in that moment was to have their eyes lifted to that greater reality when the things on earth would seek to pull them away from it. And I'd just like to look at how God reveals his throne to us. What we know, even though God's throne was established of old, this is told to us later in the scriptures. What we know, the early mankind knew of that. We're not sure. Uh, Adam, we don't know what he knew of the throne of God. We know that he walked with God in the cool of the day. We know that he experienced God in a unique way, but we don't know what he knew of God's throne. It's not said clearly. What Noah knew of God's throne, we don't know. We know that he trusted God, that he feared his word. We don't know what he knew of God's throne. What Abraham knew of God's throne, we don't know. We know he walked with God in the wilderness. He followed him. We know as well that he looked for a city who had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. But we don't know what he knew of God's throne. He didn't relate to him as king or the one seated there. Moses, we're not sure what he knew of God's throne. He met with God upon the mountain. He received the law. We're told that he saw the sapphire pave work when he had a vision of God. But we don't know what he knew about God's throne. And the reality is, through Israel's history, even Joshua and the judges, they met with God in the tabernacle. Uh, and they knew of God's sanctuary as that holy place, and that throne was the mercy seat. It was real, it was there, but their conception of it, it, it might have been a mystery. We don't know. There are hints. Moses, when the Red Sea happens and Pharaoh and his armies are destroyed, he says this when he's praising the Lord, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. There's an inference of his kingdom there. Strangely enough, maybe the clearest reference in those days came from Balaam, who was pronouncing a blessing on the children of Israel, even though Balak didn't want him to. And he says this, the Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Something new had been revealed. And funny enough, we don't have much of God on his throne or his reign or God as king until Israel demands that a human be their king. And there, very clearly, Samuel says in 1 Samuel 12, 12, You said to me, this is God's word, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Finally, directly, when they say, we want a human king, we want a person to be our king and to rule and reign over us, God says to them very directly, I was your king. We know Saul came onto the throne, and that didn't go so well for them. And then 
God brings one that he sets upon his own throne that's after his own heart. We know that to be King David. And when King David comes to the throne, it's then, in a unique way in Scripture, that God's throne, God's kingdom, God's reign, and the reality of God as king are brought into clearer picture. David talks more about those things than maybe any other Old Testament prophet put together. He, he is constantly focused on God's throne and his reign. He says in Psalm 72, For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. He says, The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. And again in Psalm 45, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. We will see that picked up again in Hebrews when we get to the next part there, said of Christ, a proof that he is greater than the angels. And as time passes, uh, David does not remain king. He passes away, and other kings step in, some good, some wicked. And the people of God, again, face difficulty. And when they need to, God, again, reveals to them his throne. When Ahab is on the throne, maybe the most wicked king in Israel's history, with Jezebel as his wife, and he's leading the people astray into idolatry, and he's even leading the kingdom of Judah with their king Jehoshaphat into places that he shouldn't be, Micaiah the prophet says this, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by and on his right hand and on his left. They, they remember that as this wicked man is sitting on a passing throne in front of them, there is still one on a higher throne. And when Uzziah died, who was one of the great kings of Israel, human king failed in the end, but he was a good king. And Isaiah was worried, what, what's going to happen now? This good man who followed God has passed off the scene. We know familiar passage from Isaiah chapter 6. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And again, here in Jeremiah, when maybe the worst time again in Israel's history, when the northern kingdom had been taken away and the southern kingdom of Judah was about to fall to Babylon, and the people were going to be in a foreign nation and a foreign country where they worshipped idols, and the temple wasn't going to be there anymore, and it looked like maybe all the promises of God were failing. God speaks to Daniel, and he speaks to Ezekiel, and he speaks to Jeremiah, and he again reminds them of a higher throne. He says to Daniel, And I watched until thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. The hair of his head was pure like wool. His throne was a fiery flame and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. And a thousand thousands ministered to him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And again to Ezekiel above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like a sapphire stone, on the likeness of a throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. And of course, Jeremiah here speaking to the people of God's throne, high from the beginning, the place of sanctuary. 
And throughout the times of these kings, God continued to send them reminders as difficulties came, as hardships came, as things that tested God's promises came. He reminded them there's a higher throne and there's one who's sitting on it. He would bring that vision. But not only that, he also began to reveal through the prophets something remarkable. And that was, not only was there a throne and a king who sat on it, the king was coming. He wasn't just going to stay there. And Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the promised king did come. We know this. The one who of old sat on that high and glorious throne stepped down. And he entered into our world and he didn't enter in the way that the world would think the one who was high and lifted up should enter in. He entered in the way he said he would, humbly, lowly, bringing salvation, born of a virgin. He called himself the Son of Man. And he came into our world. The angel declared to Mary, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That was heaven's perspective. The wise men came from afar and they asked, where is he that will be born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Jesus was the literal rightful heir to the throne of David. He had the royal blood in his veins when he walked on this earth. It wasn't recognized very often. People didn't treat him that way, and he didn't flaunt it, but it's who he was. And interestingly enough, even though we don't think of that very much as part of his message, it was the center of the reason that he was crucified. We know he came to pay for sins, but there was a battle over his kingship and over his authority. Pilate said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you rightly say that I am a king. And for this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So his honest claim to the throne became the center of crucifixion there for him. So they said, the Jews, he said, Pilate said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. And when they, the Romans, had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took a reed and struck him on the head. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking, and the scribes and elders said, He saved himself, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. They did not want this man to reign over them. And they did not like that he claimed the authority to reign. Yet, even in his humility, there were some who with the eye of faith 
recognized him for who he was. The one who died next to him said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. They recognized it. What he says is true. He's the king. He's the promised one. He's come lowly among us. And lest we should be disheartened with his death, uh, the cross is different than the throne of God. He didn't stay on the cross. The throne of God is revealed to us again, and when it's revealed to us again in Scripture, it's revealed to us with Jesus sitting on it. And we're told to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So seeing then that you have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The point is, in the day and age in which we live, the throne of God is revealed to us as a throne of grace. It is not just the throne of old. It is not just the throne of the Creator. It is the throne of Jesus Christ the one who saved us, the one who calls us to follow him, the one who entered into our world to show that he is willing that people like us would interact with him, would come to him, that repentant sinners can find grace and help in their time of need. We don't come to the throne like Esther, wondering if the scepter is going to be lifted. We're not confused about what's happening like Adam. We know where the throne is, we know who is sitting on it, and we know that we have been given access to it. So it's written in the word that our king is strong, he is blessed, he is full of majesty and glory. He's the king who is in the midst of us, the king who hears, who defends, who prospers, and who works righteousness and truth in the earth. We're promised that our eyes will see the king in his beauty, our king and our redeemer, the promised lowly king who came with salvation. You and I have a wonderful privilege, greater than the privilege of the old Jew, that we can immediately have access to that king, that we can enter into his presence, and we are encouraged to come to the risen Savior, the king of death and the grave, and come to him for grace and for help. But that's not the end of what the scriptures tell us. John tells us that there's going to be another, another revelation of God's throne. And that revelation is going to be in a particular day. The Bible calls it the last days. The Bible calls it perilous times. The Bible says it's going to be like the days of Noah, where men's hearts were only evil continually, and the Spirit of God wouldn't always strive with man. And when that throne is revealed is revealed in a new fashion in the future. Again, John would say in Revelation, immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And here's what he tells us. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. There's a change now that happens later with the one who sits on the throne. He doesn't call it the throne of grace here. 
He says the throne has thunder and lightning and voices. He says before the throne, we don't see the spirit as a dove of peace. We we see the spirit as seven flames of fire. And when Christ is introduced, he's seen as the lamb, but he's introduced before the throne as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, in the future, we see that everyone is one day going to relate to the throne of God as a friend or as a foe. And that the throne of God is going to realize itself in this world that has rejected him. He's come. He was the king of Pilate when he was here. But he came in humility. And he came in grace. And he offered mercy. And when the throne is revealed in heaven a second time, is revealed as the throne of all the earth. Satan is cast down from heaven the one who desired God's throne. His enemies are gathered together against him. And Revelation tells us this, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. And he has on the robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He, when we see the throne a second time, establishes that throne in this earth. He comes and he sets his foot down in this world and he walks into Jerusalem. So the psalmist says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Just as he was faithful to show up humbly and lowly on a donkey bringing salvation, so he will be faithful to show up exalted, crowned, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, King of kings, Lord of lords, bringing justice and wrath and indignation in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon those who know not the gospel or obey not the gospel. He's going to come to rule and to reign with a rod of iron. And he's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. So it is written, he is the king of justice and of righteousness and of wrath and of indignation, the Holy One of Israel, the king whose name is dreadful among the heathen, a great and terrible king, mighty in battle and exalted. Jeremiah would say, at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. He's going to show up in justice, and he is not ashamed of that. People are confused about it. Heaven rejoices in it. 
He says in Isaiah, my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Heaven can look full on the justice he brings, and there's no injustice in it. He promised it, and he's going to be faithful and true to complete it. And when he sets up his rule and reign on earth, clearly in Jerusalem, this earth, Jesus will be king of all the earth. The knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. We see him king of every marriage, of every family, of every home, of all physical life, healing diseases, people living longer. He'll be the king, though, of all of life, of our TVs, of our movies, of our concert halls, of our restaurants, bars, football stadiums, King of your iPhone? Think about this. Facebook's going to have a king one day. And his will will be exalted in it. The Internet's going to have a king, and it's not going to be Al Gore. And his will will be done in it, and no one else's will will be. He's going to be the king of every tree, every park, every river, every ocean, cattle on a thousand hills. No more thorns, no more briars. Lion shall lay down with the lamb. Child shall pull the ass from the hole. He'll be king of all nature, king of all climate, king of every dark alley, king of every drug corner. Every drug corner in Philly is going to have a king one day. Cartels are going to have a king. City streets are going to have a king. Every apartment building, every humble home, every high-rise is going to have a king. Every school, every university where his name isn't allowed, where he's mocked, where he's blasphemed, he's going to be king. His name's going to be hallowed. It's going to be lifted up. It's going to be acknowledged. Now, some people, that might frighten them. He's going to be king of Congress and the Senate. No need to vote king of every president, king of every tyrant and dictator who would cause war or injustice. He's going to rule over all. Again, some people, you know, sounds kind of nice, but then sometimes we're like, do I really want God to be king of my TV or my phone, right, or my music? We shouldn't be ashamed. It's going to happen either way. You better get ready for it. You should learn to enjoy it now. I'm not ashamed of it. When he's king, there's no more stealing, no more lying, no more murdering, no more adultery, no more when things come in line with his kingdom. That's a good day. That's why we're told to pray that thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's going to happen. We see his throne revealed in the earth that you and I live in. Does that delight you, or does it frighten you? Paul would say, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule, all authority, and all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. But that, even in its wonder and the hope that we have in it, It's not the final revelation of God's throne. We see God's throne one more time at the end of the book of Revelation. And it's not on this earth. 
heaven and earth have passed away. And John says there's a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more death or sorrow, crying, pain. The former things have passed away. John says, he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. At the end of all things, or maybe I should say at the beginning of all things, we find the throne of God and of the Lamb are one and the same. And we don't find difficulty there. We find life being provided, poured out through all the world. Each day we live, the shadow of God's throne grows deeper on our path. It's going to happen. He's there. He's told us how he's going to reveal himself. And there are things that could pull our attention, but he wants us to step back from time to time and look up. That's why it is written, God is the king of old, the king who is creator, the king of Jacob, the king of Israel, the king of saints, the king of all nations. He is king over all the earth, king above all gods, king of kings. He's the king who is first, and he will be the king who is last. So, in application, because... That's challenged in a lot of different ways in our life. Satan will want us to doubt that in a lot of different ways in our life. That there is a glorious high throne from the beginning that's the place of our sanctuary. It's really the only place we have to turn. We can fake ourselves out that there's other places to find sanctuary. But really there's not. They're all passing. In application, I would simply say this. Like the dawn of all history when men seemed to know little of God's throne, it remained greater than their conception of it. God's throne is greater even than our experience of it. I'm sure Adam and Eve could look around and say, where's God's throne? We were cast out of the garden. Death and sin have entered into the human race. Or Noah could look around and say, how can the whole world literally be falling apart? Where, where is God on his throne? Or Abraham could look around and say, where is God on his throne? Where is his promise of my child? Or how come Lot could walk away or say, how come there's so much sin in my life? Where is God on his throne? Or Moses, how come your people can be enslaved? Where is God on his throne? He's where he's always been. And this is God's reminder for people who feel ignorance or doubt or perplexity or apathy in regards to God's throne, his answer does not come by explaining all mystery away. He simply reminds us of his place. I'm the one on the throne. Take a look here. Understand, know, remember. Reminder of where he is. You may yet have a greater revelation of that. For those of us who look at the world and like the times of those human kings, God's throne remains despite human rejection, despite human weakness, despite our own doubts as to his ability to keep his promise, despite all the rebellion of earthly kings and pawns. You've been hurt by the passing of good men. You've been hurt by the actions of wicked men. God's throne remains. 
tire still. It won't be shaken. It won't be moved. And God's throne remains in our day and age. The message that he wants most directly known in our time is that sinful men and women have access to his throne. It is the throne of grace. Repentant sinners are encouraged to take a bold approach to the one who left that throne to enter into our world to prove that he loves us. He's already shown that. The golden scepter is lifted for any person who wants to come now to the throne of grace. Do you want forgiveness? It is there. Are you a Christian who's walked with him? Maybe you've messed up for a while. You feel like I'm not worthy. You're not. You never were. Join the club. He is. He's worthy to grant you access. And he grants it. All that would come to him, he would in no wise cast out. Any man, any woman. There's not going to be a single soul in hell that says I came to him and he rejected me. He has extended freely access to the throne that has always been there and will always be there. This is your chance because the day is coming when all will relate to that throne as a friend or as a foe, as one who is a servant or as one who is in rebellion against it. And in that day, for you and I, it is important for us to remember that we who suffered with him will also reign with him. That as Jesus was in this world and it was difficult, as Jesus was in this world and he was rejected, as Jesus was in this world and faced sin, as Jesus was in this world and took a last breath and died in a human frame, we who are in this world and face difficulty and face sin and face rejection, and who take a last breath in a human frame, we will also be in this world like him, resurrected. We will also be in this world like him, glorified. We will also be in this world like him, accepted. We will not be ashamed. That's his promise. We will look and say, this is our God. We have waited for him. And... In the end, every decree that came from the throne of God is going to come true. God's throne will outlast sin. In the bright dawn of that eternal morning, God's throne will remain, and everything he said is going to be just as he said it. Isaiah says, He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. He will not fail. He will not be discouraged. We can get discouraged. We can worry. We can look at the world and things are going wrong. I understand that. I have two young girls that I'm bringing up in this day and age. There are certain things that are crazy, but here's what I know. This is my father's world. He's the king. And one day, they're going to rule and reign in it. They're not going to be defeated by it. They're going to walk in it and see him in his beauty. And you and I, that's our hope. 
Again, you can look a lot of other places. You can seek to find strength in a lot of other places. God designs even places for us to receive courage and strength, like he designed that temple of old for the Jew to come and worship him in. But understand, when those things begin to break down, when those things begin to pass, even the good things that God has placed in our life, what he says is, there is a glorious high throne from the beginning. That's the place of your sanctuary. I'll read this to you, and then we'll finish. Alexander McLaren would say this. The place of our sanctuary, then, declares that God himself, like some ancestral dwelling place in which generation after generation of fathers and children have abode, where they have been carried, where their children still live, is to all generations their home and their fortress. The place of our sanctuary implies access to the the inaccessibly high God, communion with the infinitely separate, and security and abode in God himself. He that dwells in God dwells in peace. These, then, are the points of the prophet's vision of God. So be it, and let it be so. Amen and amen. Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your revelation, Lord. You know what we need to know of you. And I pray your Holy Spirit would take those things and make them more and more real to each of our hearts, each of our minds. pray you'd give them greater weight and clarity. Lord Jesus, um, again, you know every heart in this room. You know what they need. You know how to relate to them as their king and as their Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would provide of your riches. And Lord Jesus, we want to praise you. We want to recognize you. We want to acknowledge, Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords in a world where it's not yet shown. We want it to be shown, Lord, here in this place. Accept our praise. And Lord, if anybody here needs to bow the knee to you today to receive forgiveness, I pray you would work that truth in their heart and their life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Mike Foch. If you enjoyed the message, you can access more of Pastor Mike's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.